Good morning, everybody. Well, about a, about a month ago, our church sent me uh, out on a, on a two-week trip to South Asia. And while I was there, I got to meet with and, and, and check in on and learn some from uh, a few of our missionaries who we have sent out from this congregation to serve and share the gospel with people in that part of the world. And it was, it was an absolutely amazing trip. I had an opportunity to uh, attend a church planting training and, and learn about what church planting and disciple making are like in, in an area of the world and in some cultures where the Christian church is often persecuted. I got to meet with and hear the testimonies of people who grew up believing in Hinduism or Islam, but are now following Jesus and worshiping him as the one true God. And I got a much better perspective for the difficulties and challenges of being a missionary in a culture and in a context that's a lot different than the one that, that, you, you know, that you're from and the one that you would call home. I also ate so much chicken and rice, just <laughs> endless amounts of chicken and rice. I'm really excited to share some of uh, the stories and the experiences that I had with you all this morning, but I want to do so in a way that not just informs you about the trip, but, but also edifies you and challenges you and leads you to consider your own role in the mission of God to reach people with the redeeming gospel of Jesus Christ, both here in Manhattan and around the world. So instead of doing a play-by-play of what happened on my trip or, or showing you a slideshow of me hanging out at this temple or, or chatting with this South Asian fellow, what I want to do this morning is look at a passage of Scripture that, because of this trip, means more to me now than it ever has before, and also take a, take a look and consider a truth that changes everything. The passage is Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 39. And we're going to take a look at those few verses this morning and, and consider three uh, key critical elements of what it means to follow Christ and participate in the work that he's called us to do in the world. That's, that's the passage that we'll look at, Matthew 9, 35 through 39. The truth that connects to these three critical elements, that is both the foundation and the fuel for a life as a follower of, of Christ, this truth that changes everything is simply this, Jesus is worthy. Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of our worship, of our devotion, our admiration, surrender, and of our our obedience to the commands found throughout Scripture, including those found in Matthew chapter 9. Now, some of you might be thinking, hey, Jesus is worthy. Isn't that the same thing that that Pastor Steve preached on last week? And uh, and you'd be right. Uh, He wrapped up our series on the drama of doctrine, looking at creation, fall, redemption, reconciliation, by taking us to the book of Revelation and seeing there that Jesus was declared as the only one who was worthy to open the scroll and move redemptive history forward to call all people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to fall on their knees and worship him in recognition of his lordship, of his worthiness. But here's the thing. I actually decided two weeks ago that during my 13-hour flight back from Abu Dhabi to Chicago that I was going to preach on the idea of Jesus is worthy. Uh, So I had it first. Um, uh, But my reason for deciding to want to preach this to you all is actually because one of the missionaries, the missionary that this church has sent out uh, to work in South Asia at this church planning training that he was running, at the end of it, he, he looked at everybody and he said, if you get nothing else from this training, if you remember nothing else from this training, please remember this, Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of giving up everything to pursue wholeheartedly and share 
with everyone. And so what jumped out to me as I prepared this message is that over the past few weeks, God has seemed to make it a priority for this congregation, for all of us in this church, to really consider the idea that Jesus is worthy. He put it on the heart of one of our missionaries, and then he put it on the heart of our senior pastor, and then he put it on, on my heart as well, and then he put it on the heart of our worship pastor with that song that, that Logan introduced last week, Jesus is Worthy, that we'll sing again today. So I don't know what God's doing with this idea. I don't know why he wants it presented again and again and again in front of you all, but it seems awfully important to pay attention to and give some thought. So with that in mind, let's take a look at the passage for this morning, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. If you brought a Bible, feel free to, to open up and follow along. It'll also be on the, on the screen behind me. So again, that's Matthew, uh, Matthew, Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Before my trip to South Asia, this passage had always been one of those that, that it's, it's heartwarming and it's, it's inspirational sounding and it's one of those pieces of scripture that I could eagerly affirm while at the same time kind of keeping a, a comfortable arm's distance away from me. Intellectually, I understand that there are millions and millions of people. In fact, there are probably billions of people, perhaps as many as, as three or upward toward four billion people on this planet that, that not only don't have a relationship with Jesus, but have actually never heard his name or ever heard his gospel proclaimed before. So factually, I understand that. And that's often how I, I, I held it. I, I kept that in my mind and, and somewhat in my heart. And, and I thought of it as this troubling, problematic number that I could hold out you know, in front of me or way out in front of me and, and look at it as, as this puzzle that I might figure out how to solve one day. But then in South Asia, God, God took me and he put me right down in the middle of that number, up close and personal. And he replaced the number with people and faces and stories. God gave me a, a glimpse, just a glimpse of what it's really like to be overwhelmed with and, and surrounded by people who are harassed and helpless, who, who God sees as sheep without a shepherd, a harvest wilting and dying while waiting for more workers to decide to show up. One of the hardest things for me to process while I was there, and even now I still struggle with, was, was an admiration that I, that I really had for the beauty of the religions that I saw there and the devotion of the people. They, they believe ardently and are passionate about the things that they believe in, and yet all of that is wrapped up and ensnared by lies and idol worship and lifeless false gods. I spoke to a young man named Anil who kindly and enthusiastically explained a festival to me, and, and, he, and he explained how over the past six days he had been in prayer to the gods of wealth and strength, and how he'd devote the next, six, next three days to, to petitioning the God who was responsible for success in his studies. I walked through a room full of several hundred Sikh worshipers, that's S-I-K-H, Sikh worshipers, who were bowing down and beating their breasts in supplication before a shroud-covered book, 
that contained the, the collected wisdom of their gurus. I watched as dozens and dozens of men, women, and children waited in line for a chance to see and to pray next to a footprint of the Prophet Muhammad. I marveled at the color and the artistry that's found throughout Hinduism, and yet while seeing all of this and, and trying to take it all in, I was heartbroken as well. Because I know that nine days spent in prayer before three wood-carved idols will not bring Anil the strength or the wealth or the wisdom or the salvation that he seeks. I believe that the Sikhs are looking for truth in, in the wrong book and worshiping the wrong God. And I am not afraid of Islam, but I am afraid for the people who follow it. They are so close to the name and the story of Jesus. They're, they're close to the idea of who Jesus is, and yet somehow they're also so far away from taking hold of and, and, and owning for themselves his saving grace. Sheep without a shepherd, a harvest desperately in need of workers. What might, what might it look like for us to become these workers that Jesus says we need to be looking for and, and praying for? How would we know if we might actually already be one? And what might it look like to, to go to the lost and the hurting, not, not only all over the world, but also right here in Manhattan? Three critical lessons from Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 39, give us at least a place to start and a place to grow. In this passage, we can see that we need to care, and we need to pray, and we need to go. We need to care about the people around us, pray for the people among us, and go to the people both near and far. Care about the people around us. Pray for the people among us. And go to people both near and far. Looking at the passage again, it says that Jesus was traveling in the region of Galilee. And as he did that, great crowds of broken and hurting and lost people began to seek him out. Villagers and townsfolk by the hundreds, maybe by the thousands, began to head for their local synagogues, hoping for a chance to see this, this amazing teacher and miracle worker. Perhaps they needed to be healed. Perhaps they needed his message of hope. Matthew doesn't actually tell us very much about these people or what their needs were, but what he does tell us is how Jesus responded and received them. In verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion for the people as they came to him with their needs. He cared about the people around him, always. As followers of Jesus, that aspect of his character and behavior must be something that we aspire to and emulate. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to care for and have compassion for the people around you. You've got to put your love, or if you want to get really more specific about it, you've got to put the love that Christ has for you into action. You know you're being compassionate when you feel a little bit of somebody else's sorrow and pain and try to engage them in a meaningful way. That might mean helping them grieve or providing some sort of assistance or even just listening to their story and offering to pray with them. When you read the Gospels, you can barely turn a page without encountering a story where Jesus felt compassion for somebody and responded by healing the sick, encouraging the broken, or, or forgiving those who are ashamed of their past. And as followers of Christ, we inherit that ministry. 
We must be kind-hearted. We must be compassionate. And we must respond to the needs of others in considerate, meaningful, and often sacrificial ways. We need to see people the way that God sees them and do something to help out. When we do this, when we connect and care for people in this way, we take our first steps in participating in the mission of God. Now, I could illustrate this point with a story from, from my travels. There were a lot of opportunities to, to see how, uh, how Christians were caring for people as I, as I went through South Asia, but I'd actually rather share a story that's a little bit closer to home. You see, last week I went with a group from our church, a group of people from our church, to volunteer at a community meal called Common Table. We were volunteering as part of our serve experience with Rooted, that's R-O-O-T-E-D, Rooted, uh, which is a new small group focused discipleship program that you're going to be hearing a lot about uh, over the next few weeks and as we move into 2019. And I don't have time to explain it all to you this morning, but, but take my word for it. When you hear about signups coming along for Rooted, uh, you're going to want to pay attention because it's an awesome program. It's an awesome way to get connected with, with God and get connected with other people in, uh, in our church community. But anyway, Common Table is this network of churches and organizations from all over Manhattan that provide a free dinner uh, and sometimes a free lunch or a free breakfast every night of the week. Every night in this city, anywhere from 20 to 60 people are provided a free meal, no charge, and it's, it's open to anybody who wants to come in. So we, we got there and we threw some aprons on and, and we got our instructions for the evening from a guy named Ryan. And uh, we just started hanging out with the people that showed up and, and having conversations with them. And then eventually uh, we helped serve dinner. We got, you know, kind of in the line and helped put some food on the plates. And then we grabbed plates for ourselves and, and we spread out throughout the room and just joined people at the tables and, and enjoyed a meal and conversation uh, together with the common table community. And I'll be honest with you, um, I'm, I'm an introvert. And so going to a place full of people that I don't know, who have a very different life experience than I do, and then trying to engage them in meaningful conversation is very daunting and a little anxiety-inducing. You can imagine what it was like for me to be in Asia. Uh, I worry about screwing up or saying the wrong thing or not being able to think of anything to say at all, and then just having to sit there in that, in that awkward, dreaded silence that, that happens, the mere thought of which is enough to keep introverts safe at home with a book or, or with Netflix. But here's the thing. You really can't see people the way God sees them unless you go meet them and hear their stories and share a little bit of life together. It's in that life-on-life -life moment that your eyes are opened and your heart fills with the love for people around you, the love that Christ has for them. You learn to care about people by being with people. Compassion isn't going to grow in your heart by reading one more book or blog. You've got to go out and spend an evening talking with somebody like John, who, who loves to walk the trails in Manhattan and, and look at the birds. Or Tim, who hopes to start up a YouTube channel with his wife where they ask people funny questions and then post the most outrageous answers. These are some of the people that I met at Common Table. After the dinner, when we were cleaning up, I was chatting with the meal coordinator, a guy named Ryan, and he said something that I thought was just, was just awesome and profound. We were talking about the importance of serving our city and how it could help us grow our faith and help, help the people that we know grow in their faith. And, and he said this, he said, I hope people realize they don't have to go across the world to find God's mission. In Manhattan, 
missions can be the dinner table. It's right here. Now, I'm not saying everybody has to go volunteer at Common Table, but Ryan was right. God's mission can most certainly be found and engaged in right here in Manhattan. And caring for people around you is a great way to get started. Missions can be the dinner table. It can be knocking on your neighbor's door and inviting them over for coffee. Or it can be raking leaves or shoveling snow. Or it can be just sitting down and listening with someone and and sharing tales about your day and and figuring out how you might be able to pray for them or, or encourage them or support them in a time of need. Missions begins by caring for the people around you. It starts when you see people the way that God sees them and you decide to help out. So we need to care and we need to be compassionate But we also, when we take a look back at the text, we see that we need to pray for the people among us. In verse 37, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more of his laborers into his harvest. I probably met somewhere between 20 to 30 missionaries when I was in South Asia. And I got to to sit down with them and talk with them about their lives and and what their experiences were. And I asked as many of them as I could, what's one thing you wish, uh, you know, your your supporting churches back home knew? Or one thing that we could do better to to help you out and support you? Not a single one of them asked for more money. None of them asked for resources or Bibles or studies or sabbaticals. Every single missionary said almost the exact same thing. We want people to know how desperately we need their prayers. Get people to pray for us and pray for people to come join us. The work of missions and missionaries is so overwhelming that without prayer, it is impossible. At the church planting training that I went to, we spent around two hours looking through the New Testament and and examining the relationship between mission and prayer and sending and prayer. And you know what we found? Every single occurrence in the New Testament of sending somebody, commissioning somebody to either go share the gospel or to go to serve somebody is preceded by or supported by prayer. Followers of Christ must be people who dedicate time and energy and effort to prayer. We need it and the people that we send need it and those waiting to hear the gospel for the first time desperately need prayer-powered missions. And the American church, with, with our freedoms and our legal protections, is so blessedly positioned to be the battery or the engine of prayer for the global church. From Faithy Free alone, we've got 20 missionaries that are sent out all over the world and 16 campus ministers sent to share the gospel right here with students in Manhattan. And then, of course, we've got all of you as well. You who are sent from this place of worship into your homes and your families and your neighborhoods, into your workplaces and your coffee shops and your bars and your grocery stores, everywhere you go has the potential to be a place where the mission of God can be found. And we should be specifically and intentionally praying for all of these people and all of your opportunities. And here's where I will make a confession and seek out your forgiveness. I've been the outreach pastor for this church for about three years, and uh, I have not done enough to lead you or equip you in praying for our missionaries and praying for your own opportunities. And I'm sorry about that. 
I hope to change that in the coming year. We're working on some plans that will hopefully give you greater exposure to who our missionaries are and and what some of their work is and what their prayer requests are and connect you with their their newsletters and their their things that will keep you updated. And and I want to know what you guys are looking for and I want to know what you guys are, are, who you're praying for and how we might be able to help you and better equip you and, and encourage you to go share the gospel in the world as well. The harvest is plentiful, but all over the world and in our community. We need to pray to our Savior for more workers, more missionaries, more boldness, and more opportunities. If you'd like more information about who our missionaries are and what they're doing, here's what you can do today. You can grab the connection card from the seat back in front of you and just fill out, you know, your name and everything. And then in the back where there's that big white space, just write praying for missionaries and, uh, and put it in the... Uh, the offering bag when it comes around later. If you do that, uh, Debbie will collect all that information on Monday or Tuesday and get it to me, and later this week, I will get you some of the information that we have on who our missionaries are and, and what they're doing and where they're working and connect you with their, uh, with their newsletter sign-up. So if you want that, again, just fill out the connection card, and then on the back in that white space, write praying for missionaries, and, uh, and I'll be in contact with you uh, later, later this week. The world needs more missionaries. The harvest needs more workers. We need to be praying for people among us and people sent out from us to be bold and sharing the gospel. And of course, we also all need to go. We need to go to people both near and far. In Matthew 9, Jesus tells his disciples to pray for followers of Christ to be sent into the world, to serve and to preach the gospel to the lost. And then in Matthew 10, 5 through 15, he sends 12 of his closest disciples to do exactly that. They are told to go to the diseased, to the dying, to the despised, to those suffering from demonic affliction. They are to go into areas of great danger and speak to people who might harm them. They will have to humbly rely on hospitality of others and the provision of God. There will be abundant times and lean times. There will be acceptance and persecution. There will be great movements of faith and terribly slow moments where they're all tempted to doubt their calling. And all of this is done for the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel because Jesus is worthy. Christians are people who go. We go to people who are near, and when called to do so by God, we might go to people who are far away as well. Our challenge really isn't to figure out if we should go, but rather who we should be going to. Are you living out your faith with your family and in your workplace? Do you know how to share your testimony if somebody were to ask you about it, if somebody were to ask you what you think about God or, or where you find hope or, uh, or, or, you know, or why you seem to be able to possess joy when others don't seem to be able to? One of the missionaries that I visited when I was over there uh, for a year, it took him a year in building a relationship with a guy. And then finally one night the guy texted him and he said, man, I don't know what to do. I, uh, I just feel empty inside. I feel like I've got this hole in my heart that I've been trying to fill all these other things with it, and it's not working. And the guy was like, yeah, I know. Let me, let's have a conversation. i got to tell you about somebody and, and what he's done in my life. And so they started talking about Jesus, and now they meet every week to, to read Scripture together and talk more about what it would mean to, 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 for this guy to commit his life to, to Christ. Do you love your actual physical neighbors? Do you know their names? Do you pray for them? Do you look for ways to serve them? These are just some of the ways that we can go right here in our own town and in our own community. Then, of course, there's the question about going a little bit farther. 
Next year, we hope to have some opportunities for this church to, for people to join in on short-term missions. Maybe you want to join in on one of those projects. Or maybe you've been trying to discern God's calling in your life to possi- the possibility of long-term uh, you know, uh, international missions. If, if that's you, I have at least two families and probably more of missionaries that we've commissioned that would absolutely love to talk to you about the work that they do and invite you to come see them in, in their places and consider whether or not serving with them is, is, is right for you. The Perspectives on World Missions course is coming back to Manhattan in a few months. Perhaps you should consider attending that. We've had people from this church take that course and have it radically alter their lives and their callings forever. Take them from, from being here to sending them out into the missions field. Whether it is here or there, local or global, domestic or foreign, Christians need to be people who go into the world and share the gospel. It's just what we do. And I hope today and this week that you'll consider how it is that you might go or, or what some changes might need to happen in your life so that you can, you can make time to go and you can make the priority of going and sharing uh, Christ and God with people as he sends you. But as you consider these things, you, you must remember that we care and we pray and we go. The reason we do these things is not for what might be gained, It's not to be perfect, it's not to be good rule followers, and it's not for our own glory. We do these things because Jesus is worthy. If Jesus himself is not your motivation for doing these things, if he's not your inspiration inspiration and your reason for wanting to care for people and pray for people and go to them, then you're 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 going to end up being dangerously close to pursuing all this for all the wrong reasons and and drive yourselves into things like legalism and and self-created righteousness and pride. Jesus is worthy because he was there at the beginning and even before the beginning of all creation. By him, all things have been made. He is the author, sustainer, and creator of all life and salvation and of our faith. He is the fulfillment of all God's promises. All dominion has been given over to him. God himself commands us to listen to Jesus. He is glorious, wonderful, powerful, beautiful, prince of peace, wonderful counselor, mighty God. He is all of these things and so much more. It was the worthiness of Christ, the overwhelming joy and value of knowing him personally that led the Apostle Paul to write in Philippians 3, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Jesus is also worthy of honor and praise and devotion because of what he has done in your life. You all, every single one of you who was a follower of Jesus and has been saved by his death and resurrection, each of you has a testimony. You have a story to, to, that, to share that contributes to the overall grand story of how worthy Jesus is. You need to share that with the world. The world needs to hear what Jesus has done in your life and why you find him worthy of worship and praise. Jesus is worthy of everything we can give him and more. And so follow him and commit your life to caring for the people around you, praying for the people among you, and going to people both near and far in the name of Jesus with the gospel of salvation. We care and we pray and we go because Jesus is worthy. At the bottom of your bulletin, there's a little space for you to to consider the three lessons. And and I would encourage you either now or, or this week to consider picking one, or if you're super ambitious, you can pick all three. 
and, uh, and really look at these and challenge yourself to commit to, to something, one, one of these things on this list. Commit to caring for somebody, for praying for somebody, or, or figuring out where to where or to who you might be going to next. You have, the, the, the deal about this, though, is that you have to fill out these blanks. I can't fill them out for you. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I don't know the people that he's got placed around you. So you have to look at this, and you have to consider, I will care for somebody. I will pray for somebody. Or I will go to somewhere and some people and share with them this Jesus that I know. And I will do all of this because Jesus is worthy. Would you please pray with me? Jesus, you are indeed worthy of our worship and our thankfulness and our love and, and worthy, really, Lord, of our entire lives. I ask that you give each person who receives this message today, you give them a clear understanding of how you are leading them to care for others, to pray for others, and to go to others and, and go to them ready to, to share the gospel, to share their testimony, to share parts of their lives together. I also ask that you lead us to, to humbly accept when we need care and when we need prayer. And, and that you lead us to welcome those who you would send into our lives to help us hear from you. Jesus, you are worthy. Please grow that affirmation in our hearts and lead it to be our motivation and our inspiration and the reason that we pursue these things and more here in Manhattan and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.